Oh, dear boss. Sunday, the 20th of September, 2015. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining the show today. This is Oh, Dear Boss. We have with us John Reese, Trevor Bond, and Ian Wilson. Trevor is, I think Trevor and John are both in Wales this time, right? Uh, I'm actually in London this minute, but... Okay, Trevor's in London, John's in Wales, yes, and Ian, right. where are you coming to us uh, from today? I'm in a little place called Newport Pagnell. Um, it's probably about an hour outside London. Famous for producing the Aston Martin sports car, and that's about it. Mm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> well, still, that's a good claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, I think they farmed it off to China now, though, and they just repaired them here, but they used to produce them. In what, in what part of the country is that in? Uh, that's in the southeast of England. But as you can probably tell from my dulcet tones, I'm actually from Scotland. An Englishman, a Welshman, and a Scotsman walk into a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> We're going to start off the show today by talking about the movie Legend, I guess is what it's called. And it's not Ripper-related, of course, but it's East End-related. Those of you who don't know who the Craze were, they were twin brothers from the East End who were gang members as teenagers and then became gang leaders we're talking about in the 1960s and but these uh, two two brothers were basically trouble from the start and they eventually got into the protection racket after they bought a snooker club in Bethnal Green in the East End and from there their criminality expanded into robberies and hijackings and then they hooked up with other more established East End gangsters um, that helped them acquire that patronage, as well as the robberies and the hijackings, helped them acquire more properties, more nightclubs, and their criminal enterprise expanded into the West End of London. And being nightclub owners in the swinging 60s gave them some celebrity I guess you would say, not unlike Rodney Bingheimer in the United States when he opened up his English disco on the Sunset Strip or Steve Rebell's Studio 54 in New York City, nightclub owners in, you know, revolutionary times in the movie and music business tend to become celebrities themselves, and this happened the same way with the craze. But eventually their criminality caught up with them they were convicted and sentenced to prison for two murders they were probably responsible for at least one more and maybe my guests are more um into the whole cray thing than i am but anyway they went to prison where they served for about 30 years before ronnie died in prison and then reggie was released uh, about a month before his death for sympathetic reasons as he was suffering from cancer and there have been movies made about the craze before. The only one I have seen is the one with the Camp Brothers, who are from the rock band Spandu Ballet. And that was simply called The Craze. I saw that one way back when, when it probably, shortly after it first came out, which was in like the early 90s, I think. And, um, and then there was a movie, I believe, that came out over the summertime, probably to kind of jump on the bandwagon of the publicity that the Legend movie was getting, and it was called The Rise of the Craze. And I haven't seen that one. And I heard it got horrible reviews. And the movie The Legend, although it seemed to be really hyped, and the lead actor who is playing the role of both twins is a famous actor, I guess. I don't, I've never heard of him, but the reviews I've read since its release have all came back pretty negative, too. So I haven't read many uh, reviews from Ripperologists who have seen the movie. I know there was an event uh, that H Division Crichton Club went to see it, took a group of people to see it after a tour that John Bennett put on. I haven't seen many reviews come back from them yet. Edward Stowe, I believe, put up a review on Facebook, and John Reese, amongst the four of us, is the only one who has seen it. So, John, what did you think of the movie Legend? Well, I, I've really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I've been looking forward to it. Um, okay, it's not a perfect film, but um, what is? Um, you know, it's, it's stylish, it looks good, um, it's well-directed, 
great soundtrack. Um, Tom Hardy, um, who's playing both of the Cray twins, was excellent. Um, the uh, the woman playing um, Reggie Cray's wife, Frances, was very good. Um, I can't remember her name. Um, the main criticisms I have is a lot of the uh, the secondary characters, the East End gangsters, were quite interchangeable. And uh, Nipper Reed, played by Christopher Eccleston, was uh, very underused. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was a fun film. Um, uh, like you said, these, the previous film, I think, was 1990, the uh, craze one starring uh, the Kemp brothers. Was it 19 or 91? I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, early early nineties. That it, it. I enjoy that film, but uh, it's very much a, a straight retelling of the story. Well, as this was, um, it tried to put a bit of flair on it, concentrating more on uh, the personalities than the history. Um, so it's not historically accurate. It skips them some things and embellishes others. But uh, I think it captures um, well how the craze saw themselves. It's it's actually told from Francis's point of view, Reggie's wife. Um, interestingly enough, it's still told from her point of view after the character dies, um, which is an interesting way of doing it. Um, but yeah, um, one it's it's very much focused on Reggie. Um, it seems to be his story. Um, one of the criticisms a lot of ripperologists have is it, it glamorizes Reggie a bit, and you feel sorry for him. Um, I suppose if you're going to watch a two-hour-long film, you have to have an interest in the character and uh, empathize with him a bit. So uh, I can see that for about three quarters of the film, you know, you kind of are rooting for Reggie, but it doesn't. It isn't afraid to show him as being violent. And uh, there's something that happens three quarters of the way through the film. I won't say what it is, but at that moment, you lose any sympathy you had for him. And you actually start to, you know, prefer Ron a little bit because he seems more to empathise the situation than Reggie did. So I, I don't think it it glorifies them. It's violent. The violence is real, and it um, it does show them as being nasty pieces of work. But I think the the interesting thing about the Craig story isn't you know these East End gangsters you know who did these violent and horrible things. I think it's more the fact that they were minor celebrities, and um, mm-hmm. you know they they had a bit of a following. At the time, they were quite well-respected at the time by celebrities. Um, they mingled with politicians. Um, there's a campaign for, by, headed by a lot of celebrities to get them released um, at the time the, the, the first craze film was out. So I think the legend about it isn't so much what they did, their criminal acts, but more of their, their fame, as it were, you know, before it came out that they were these terrible criminals. And is that kind of what's driving people's interests in the craze, even, I mean, even today? Is it, I mean, it's hard for me to, as an American, you know, we have gangsters, like, uh, well, Black Mass is, has just been released um, here in the U.S. As I'm talking, it was, came out. I believe on Friday or something. And that's a movie starring Johnny Depp about a gangster that we have in the U S named Whitey Bulger ran a criminal enterprise out of Boston in the seventies and then into the eighties. But he, he's not on anyone's t-shirt. Uh, uh, the only thing that in the United States I could say would compare is like Al Capone and, and Al Capone has honestly kind of been replaced by, the Tony Montana um, character from Scarface, uh, Al Pacino's movie. So there's this kind of glamorization of gangsters, of, you know, organized crime figures in the U.S., but not anything that I think that could compare with British opinion of the Cray Twins. So any of you guys have any insight on that whole phenomenon? Yeah, it's, it's actually an interesting point you make there. Um, I was reading something today, because uh, I was conscious that I hadn't actually seen this film, and one of the points the, the reviewer made was, and John, you'll be able to confirm this because you've actually mm. seen it, um, apparently they have, midway through the film, um, an American gangster turn up who's yes, um, yeah. sort of c- contact. And the feeling that the, the reviewer had was, with a lot of these films... With, from a British point of view, we can do the whole, you know, the glamorising them in the 60s and, you know, the sharp suits and the fast cars. But the instant you put in an American gangster, they kind of lose, our gangsters lose a bit of the tough guy kind of credence because they don't seem to be as, you know, almost gangstery as, as the American characters that they introduce. I yeah, mean, is, yeah. That, is that the feel you got from seeing it? 
Yeah, the, the American gangster. Um, he's he's a representative of the mafia who comes over to start. Um, uh, they, they they want to open a casino circuit in London um, with the mafia um, having a major stake in it. Um, and yeah, they look very amateur compared to the Americans. Um, you know, they almost look as if um, it's like uh, they look like schoolboys compared yeah. to you know grown ups and stuff. Is the best analogy I can think of. You know the. You know, they're, they're up-and-coming gangsters, but, you know, they, they're nothing compared to the Americans. It, that, that does come across, yeah. Yeah, I yeah I, I've given that a little bit of thought, too, and I wasn't going to... I mean, I'm not calling, like, the British <laughs> weak, necessarily, but yeah, American gangsters are mass murderers. You know, I mean, with the craze, we're imprisoned for... Two murders, right? Yeah. And they're, they're suspected in the disappearance of only one more individual. Is that right? Uh, there's, there's a couple more they're suspe- suspected in. Um, you know, people who, people who just went missing. Yeah, basically. there's a couple of those. There's also um, suspected that they were involved with um, Reggie's wife's suicide. Um, there's been allegations about that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's two... Well, there's this... Three confirmed murders, two of which they were found guilty of, and a couple of disappearances. But yeah, nowhere on the scale of, uh, of uh, like a Whitey Bulger, or yeah, n- nowhere on the scale of uh, you know um, Al Capone or um, you know the the American. Uh, Although of course Al Capone ended up only finally being in prison for tax evasion. Yeah, didn't tax so <laughs> it's, it's what you it's what you can get people. On, what you can get them on, yeah. That I is think true, the, yeah. the thing with the craze is. They were very much of a place mm. and also of a time as well, you know, and of a time that, you know, the swinging 60s and, and all that, all that, you, you can't separate that from the legend of the craze. And, and nor can you separate them from the East End, really. Um, and the East End at the time still had this sort of, and still does to a certain extent, I think, still has that sort of spurious glamour about it. Um, but they were the, the classic big fish in a small pool really you know they we've got to remember they weren't even the the overarching or sort of all conquering gangsters in london you know no, their biggest no. rivals yeah. were the richardsons a couple of miles over the river um and and you know so this south london east london thing it wasn't even definite that they had um control over all of london because they didn't and i think you're right that when you take them out of that context and so much of how they're seen is because they're part of that whole, you know, cool 60s London thing. Yeah. And when you take them out of that context, it does start to seem a little bit um, diluted. And whether that's with a sort of fictionalised uh, account in the film, as John's mm. told us, where you contrast them against a mafia, American mafia gangster coming over, or even there are actual tales from the time of, you know, them deciding to go up to the north of England, for example, up to, up to Liverpool to try and take, you know, try and start their yeah. operations up there. And by all accounts, getting to the train station, deciding that they, you know, weren't really up to it, turning around and coming straight back. So they, they, had, they had their manner, as they say, but they weren't really a great deal out of that. Um, so in terms of scale, they weren't anything like that. But by being around and being powerful and being flash in London in the 60s, that was enough, really. And, uh, and once, you know, David Bailey starts photographing you, the, the legend is, yeah. is already starting, isn't it? Mm. And, and that's absolutely true, true Trevor. One of my favourite stories about the craze, and I'm not just nailing my Glasgow colours to the mast here, was they had a contemporary in Glasgow at the time, a guy called Arthur Thompson, who mm. basically ran the organised crime in Glasgow up until, I think, the early 90s. And there's a there's a infamous story where he actually went down to London to do a few jobs, and eventually the craze said we want this this guy from Glasgow out of here, and he got wind of this and he actually turned up at their I think it was a double R club, and he turned up with a, a shotgun in hand and uh, pointedly said to them, you know, did you want to have a word with me? I'm going to make sure you don't forget me. And he was reputed to be one of the few people that they actually feared. Because he just had this sort of Glaswegian glassy-eyed psychopath bit about him, and they were very glad to see the back of him. So I think you, mm. you made a good point. In, in their manner, they were the, the sort of the big fish, but take them out of that environment, and 
they probably weren't as big as uh, the whole mythos surrounding them uh, suggests. What Trevor was saying about, uh, you know, if you take them out of their their context, they might be like puppy dogs uh, comparatively to other gangsters. But um, they were a product of their environment, wouldn't you say, in the East End of London? And there were, uh, obviously, as we know, uh, predecessors uh, that in the in the neighborhood that um, were mentors to them. And then as we know, as ripperologists, you know, the East End of London itself does have a history of organized crime, where if you look at Al Capone, for instance, it's kind of the same thing. You could say, well, okay, if there wasn't prohibition, you know, he, he was a product of it. Capone was a product of his environment as far as prohibition is concerned. Um, and the uh, competition amongst uh, rival gangs over turf and over the sale of uh, illegal liquor and prostitution rackets and gambling rackets and things like that, which was imported from Italy and Sicily, you know, for, for Capone's antecedents. And so in the United States, we, we, can, we, we are more familiar with how you can chart the rise of uh, La Cosa Nostra and the Mafia in the United States and Capone and everything up to the, up, all the way up through the present day. Um, there's got to be that same kind of history in London, but maybe it's just not explored as much to where the craze are just kind of the way I look at it, just plopped into this swinging 60s time, almost like their one-offs, where the backstory of organized crime in London and everything like that is never really understood. Yeah, like they almost sort of turn up fully formed. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're right, they did have that backstory. I mean, you know, their mother who, John, you might have some opinion on this, but from what I've heard, because um, obviously I think we've all seen the the 90s film with the Kemp brothers and, and Violet Cray, the, the mother of the twins, as most people will know, uh, is a major figure in that film. I think she's been marginalised a little bit in the new one. Oh, she's uh, hardly uh, an adult. She's in, she's in yeah. um, two scenes. Um, in, the, in the scene she's in, um, she does, you know, she, the first scene she's in, she's um, uh, kind of... Um, uh, the, she's teaching Francis how to make tea, and she's uh, you know almost mocking her because she can't make tea properly, as far as she's concerned. And eventually tells her to you know go sit down. So she's kind of you know um, almost you know criticizing the relationship of his, her son's yeah. wife. It's after um, Ronnie has has, uh, has shot um, uh, George Cannell, um, and uh, she's making tea and. Uh, you know, serving cake while while uh, Re- Reggie's trying to sort it out. Um, and at the end of the scene, she tells Reggie to look after his brother, saying, "I don't know what he's done, but you know, uh, look after him." So she, she's uh, yeah, but she's those are the only two scenes that she's in, as far as I can mm. recall. And uh, yes, yeah, so much smaller role. Mm. But of course, her father um, was a chap called uh, Jimmy. I think his first name was mm. Jimmy or Jack, Jimmy Cannonball Lee. Um, yeah, sounds the, yeah. The, the, the Southport <laughs> Cannonball, who uh, was, I've seen him variously described previously as things like, you know, an e- a notorious East End character. Um, <laughs> and he, he used to be, he was an unlicensed or bare knuckle boxer, if you like, who, from various stories I've heard, used to sort of hang around outside pubs on the Mile End Road offering to fight people for money when they were coming out of the pubs and feeling a bit brave. I don't think anyone's ever. Uh, certainly, I've never been able to track down exact dates for him. I mean, perhaps John Bennett's upcoming book, which we might plug later, might is the kind of uh, tome that might be able to answer that. But, I mean, Violet was born in 1910. So her father, obviously, we're talking late 19th century. So, so yeah, uh, Jonathan's right. The, the sort of myth is they turn up fully formed in the 60s, but they are, as he says, absolutely a product of... Uh, of of an environment and a certain way of living and of making a living as as much as you could and in yeah, any it's, way it's, you yeah. any way you could and that takes you sort of directly back to you know say I've never seen the dates for certain but just doing the maths Jimmy Lee must have been around those streets at the time of the Ripper crimes I am oh, yeah. not 
Blogging of suspect. <laughs> it would have been a very small child, I suspect. But still, it does yeah. take you back into that period and an understanding of, of the world they would have grown up in. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that, that persevered for many years. I mean, you know, all my family are, are from the East End. And, and still, you, you hear people coming out with the, the cliche line, you know, of, oh, you know, they, they looked after their own and you knew you were safe then. And, you know, there, there's still a, a bit of respect for them around the area in, in, a, in a, a sort of watered-down, glamorised way. Um, but I think we, we've all had friends that, or, you know, people we've considered friends who you think, I'm glad I'm friends with them because I wouldn't want to be enemies with them. <laughs> and it's not, it's not quite the same thing, is it? <laughs> I think it's like Trevor says, though, the instant you've got a world-renowned photographer using you as a subject... It's a bit like nowadays where some of these so-called celebrities are thoroughly reprehensible individuals. You have people idolising and wanting to be like them because they're, you know, they're all over the internet or all over magazines. And that's a large part, I think, to do with the craze mythos. So that you've had them elevated to the status of celebrity. And when you've got that, a lot of the, the really nasty stuff that they did can probably be swept under the carpet because people are caught up in the, the glitz and the glamour of it which you probably don't get from some of these gangsters that you were mentioning, Jonathan. Mm. Um, to address a couple of points, so the, uh, the product of the environment, um, you know, the East End back then, you know, working class East Enders, very distrustful, very distrustful of authority <laughs> um, and the law. So, uh, you know, almost natural that, you know, the criminal underclass could flourish and they showed respect to people who could get one over on the law, almost. In the film, um, as far as I recall, there's only one EastEnder who criticises the craze. The rest of them seem to love them and think they're brilliant, or at least, you know, show them respect. It's only um, Francis's mother who speaks out against them. Um, emerging fully formed, uh, again, the, uh, the 1990s film, um, it charts, you know, from their birth, um, going to school... Uh, learning how to box, um, joining, you know, be it, I say joining the army, you know, conscripted national service, um, and the rise of their career. Whereas Legend, um, it starts off with, um, you know, they're, they're fully fledged gangsters. Um, Re- Reggie's owns the the double R. Um, Ronnie's uh, in prison at the start, so it's, um, yeah, it's it, it's very much, uh, you know, they emerge fully formed in this film. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the myth about them, you know, there there is uh, an overriding myth with some people, you know, that uh, oh well, you know, they 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 did uh, hurt some people and do some criminal things, but they gave to charity, you know, and uh, helped young people in the East End, and you know, they they did love their mum, you know, and uh, um, so it's amazing we haven't learned about the oh they gave to charity thing, isn't it? Given Jimmy Savile recently, but clearly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, the case, they were they were absolutely horrendous though, when they were doing national service. I, mean, I, I don't know the, the exact details, but sometimes I get cited. Oh yeah, they did national service, so you know they weren't that bad. But I, I'm sure they were absolute hellraisers when they were doing national service. There was all sorts of violence towards the authorities, and as, as, soon, as soon as they were enlisted, they 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 made it their mission to get dishonorably discharged as soon as possible. Uh, do we uh, want to go see the craze then, John? Or the legend? Sorry, I keep on calling the craze. I, 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 I say legend worth seeing. Um, it's had some bad reviews. I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes now. Um, 56% of reviewers liked it, so it's been categorised as rotten. But um, if you look at the audience score, and that's the professional reviewers, 56%, the audience score, 77% liked it. So... Uh, it seems to be more popular um, among uh, the audience than the, the film critics. And I think sometimes film critics give a negative review to kind of, um, you know, get their name out there. Uh, but yeah. no, I, I think it's worth seeing. Uh, it, it's not 100% accurate. Um, but, you know, it, it, it kind of it, it has the feel of the story. Uh, superb performances from Tom Hardy in both roles. And uh, it, it's very well direct, directed, very stylish. So yeah, I, I, I'd say go see it. And, and um, while we're talking about, certainly uh, cryology is one to really look forward to. Yeah, I've, I think it, it, it's a different stance because, you know, the previous books have uh, 
been written from the opinion of you know um the, the pearson books are the most famous ones you know he was actually contracted by the craze to write a biography about them and then about uh halfway through his research they got arrested and sent down so um he uh, um it became more about their criminal careers than their they you know that their their careers as east end uh nightclub owners um it's had a couple of additions because as people have died he's been able to uh write the truth about them without fear of being sued um I think is it Lord Lord Boothby is the uh, is it Lord Boothby, yeah, yeah Lord yeah. Boothby. Uh, when he died, there was a new edition. I think some more people have died, so he's been able to do new editions and sequels. You know, so he hasn't been able to be sued by them. Um, there's other books about the craze written by their family, by themselves, even uh, by gangsters who knew them. So this this is more of a historian's uh, point of view. So John's looking at uh, key documents, um, newspaper reports. Um, things from the uh, me- memoirs, things from the National Archives, you know, the trial records. So it's a, it's a similar approach as you take to writing a Ripper book, you know, really, but uh, it's about something that was only um, 50 years ago rather than uh, 130 years ago. So, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be good. You know, John's uh, an excellent author, and, uh, you know, I, I haven't uh, read a bad book that he's written, so uh, I, I, I think it's one to look forward to. And it was just announced today that Richard Whittington Egan has completed a biography of the fiction writer Elliot O'Donnell. And I don't know how if you guys are too familiar with uh, Elliot O'Donnell. He, he uh, was a early 20th century um, fantasy fiction writer, as well as a writer of ghost stories and things like that. And he became um, really famous. Um, he was an Irishman, I believe. And, um, but his books and, um, magazine articles in particular, uh, have very wide readership, um, you know, both on your side of the pond and over here in the United States. Um, he would write for weird, weird, weird tales magazine and, um, those types of, uh, those types of pulp magazines. And he became a ghost hunter eventually. And he lectured on ghosts and did, uh, did radio and TV interviews about the paranormal and things like that, and wrote just tons of books and articles. And so it turns out that um, Mango Books has uh, gotten uh, Richard Whittington Egan's unpublished biography of Elliot O'Donnell, and they're going to be bringing that out. And that's something I look forward to. We mentioned him on the Elephant Man show, yep. if you guys recall. Because it was Elliot O'Donnell who first came up with the idea that the Elephant Man was yes. the Ripper. Yes. And uh, I had Philip, you know, basically go through the story uh, that Elliot O'Donnell had written about the Elephant Man being Jack the Ripper, or uh, an Elephant Man. He doesn't, like, name Joseph Merrick or have anything at all in the story that has <laughs> anything to do with reality. Like so many suspect authors since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm quite impressed that Richard Witten Negan is, is still writing, um, because he's he's in his nineties now, I think, isn't he? Um I suspect this this might have been something that was written I don't know this, but yeah. I suspect this might be something that was written a while ago that no publisher has wanted to publish. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, possibly, yeah. And, but you know, you know he's, he's still, all he's, he's had still, to do know, is deliver the file. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, then, absolutely. Despite that, he, st- he still did the uh, you know the Jack the Ripper definitive case book, uh, you know, last year, or the year before, you know, the new edition of that. Uh, so you know, that's I, true. That's true. Yeah, and he, I, th- I think he, well, I'm just gonna look up how old he actually is. <laughs> He's certainly in his nineties. Yeah, I, 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 I spoke to him on the phone once briefly, um, and yes, uh, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he, he seems you know quite sharp for. His age, but you know, it's, it's quite impressive, really. I hope, I hope when I'm in my nineties, you know, I'm uh, still as uh, productive. Nineteen twenty-four, he's bo- he was born, so um, yeah, that's all. There's more coming out from Mango Books. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, we've mentioned a few of theirs uh, on prior podcasts. I think um, j- just briefly, the Adelaide Bartlett uh, book uh, has shots, yes. I believe. Um, so. That's uh, that's going to be due over the next uh, couple of weeks, I imagine. That's imminent. Yeah, yeah. Kate Clark. Yeah. I think that's worth mentioning. Yeah, I think yeah. She, she Kate Clark is an excellent author. Um, excellent research. Done loads of stuff in the past. 
And I think any book with her name on it, people should buy, even if it's being co-authored with other people <laughs> whose names they may not be as familiar with. You can edit that out if you want, Jonathan. <laughs> is this something is this something to do with the eighth I, set of Victorian crime? I am crime? referring to the eighth set of Victorian crime, which is should be out next year. <laughs> written by me, Mark, Neil and Kate. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you more about that if you're allowed to speak about it. But first, uh, Mango Books, www.mangobooks.co.uk. I'm serious, guys. Even if you're not interested in this topic of the book that, that they put out, buy it anyway. I mean, that's what I intend to do is to, is to just, they're, they're, um, up and coming, uh, publishing outfit. They only have right now a small handful of books. Just get their whole collection. You know, every time a book comes out from Mango, buy it. That's what oh, I would suggest yeah. with um, you yeah, guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, so, for, so would you recommend... Who, sorry, go, go on, John. For, for anyone who hasn't bought or seen the Police Code book um, that Mango brought out um, with the the introduction by Neil Bell and Adam Wood, um, it is well worth getting just for the uh, just the presentation of it. It's a gorgeous book. Um, it looks good on a shelf, and it's, you know... Uh, a good resource, but uh, you know, to buy it because it looks good on the shelf. I say, yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it, it's slightly thicker than the original was because it's got the material by uh, Neil and Adam in it. But uh, yeah, the, the the other dimensions, I think uh, they, they've recreated. If that if that book is any indication of what Mango is going to be coming out with, you know, that they would take the time and the care to present something like that that yeah. you just don't see anymore. It is a is is a, a fabulous object, isn't it? I know that's something obviously mm. I spoke to Adam a lot when he was yeah. first deciding to do the publishing company and, and since about various sort of projects and stuff. And I know that's something he really believes in is that idea of make you know pub, not just publishing a book as sort of cheaply and as quickly as you can but publishing a book that people will be you know proud to have in pride of place on their shelves and mm, uh, definitely and, and that's really what you've got to do these days because when you think you're up against the digital market there's got to be something there that sets it aside that you're going to want to you know actually have that as a physical copy rather than just mm. saying i'll get something in my kindle and get it cheaper <laughs> are mango books not releasing a book in swanson as well uh, well, it's Adam Adam's book on Swanson, yeah. Right, yeah. It's yeah, November, when, I think. It's due out as the uh, was the plan, but uh... yeah, yeah. That was yeah. I don't know any any updates on that. No. That I've I've seen some of the the research and and the early stuff on that, and that's going to be that's going to be a cracker really is. Go back to, um, I, I know vaguely about this A to Z of British crime or whatever the title is. Victorian, Victorian crime. Yeah. Is that a Victorian crime? And is this going to be a mango as well? Or? No, no, this is with Amberley. Oh, okay. And, and, um, how did this one come about? It was Mark, uh, Mark Ripper, who, as most people will know, has already written, um, a couple of books, uh, murder and crime, Whitechapel and district, and the Moat Farm Mystery, both the History Press, both under his pen name of M.W. Aldridge, which is also what his contributions to the A to Z will be published under. Um, he finished with the History Press and got talking to one of the editors at Ambly. Unfortunately, the editor we were initially speaking to at Ambly has now left, so we all need to have a bit of a, a chat with the, the editor who's currently handling the project at, at Ambly. Um, but... Yeah, the suggestion that they that Mark put to them, and they were they were very keen on it, was to do a a book looking at all the all the sort of the wide range of of crime in in the nineteenth century, which then became I think I'm getting the genesis right. Then became Victorian crime because Mark said that would thematically make more sense. Um, now we've had to do a lot, so there's four of us writing it, and all doing sort of various entries each. I mean, f format-wise, it's not going to be that dissimilar to the Jack the Ripper I'd said, really. You know, you're talking about, you know, a couple of pages, an entry in an A to Z format rather than a cover-to-cover -cover thing, and it will cross-reference within itself to, to other entries. And the idea, you know, we've had to do a lot of pruning back with what's included. We had a big, great big spreadsheet at the start with all the entries that everyone had suggested doing and that, and uh, it, it was just, it was going to be, you know, a thousand pages long. So we've had to do a lot of pruning. Um, 
a lot of the international cases have had to come out. Initially, although we were saying Victorian crime, we weren't limiting ourselves to to Britain. We were looking at you know crime within that era internationally. I think there's still a couple of those cases left. I'm doing the entry on Dr. Cream, for example. Uh, but we've had to lose things like um, a couple of very interesting Mexican serial killers that I was quite sad to lose, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, things like that. But it should be interesting. that The idea is that it will be obviously something that people can dip into if they're interested in a certain case, and then hopefully that will lead them to other cases. But also that if people do want to read a fair section of it and eventually go through all the cases... The idea is that rather than just being, and then this person murdered this person, hopefully, because we've also got entries, um, which are a lot of the ones I'm doing, we've got entries on not just sort of named after criminals, we've got entries like workhouses, entries like transportation, and then entries on institutions like I'm doing Millbank Prison and uh, Bethlehem Hospital, etc. So... The idea is through the sort of lens of, of crime and criminology that you should be able to get a bit of a sense of the, the sort of social makeup of, of Victorian love. And obviously, as I say, Neil Bell is involved, who we all know very well. And so he's doing all the, or almost, certainly almost all the, the police related entries. And so it, it, the idea is it will give you a bit of an idea of what were the social conditions that led to these cases and what were the police up against trying to investigate them and it will it will come together as a bit of a history book rather than just a a collection of of interesting crimes but uh, it's quite exciting but fingers crossed sounds good our deadline is next spring i think it's the end of april next year so okay wrapping up the book um section here oh dear boss uh I've heard some uh, talk about this one, and I don't know exactly when it's coming out, sometimes too soon. Um, they All Love Jack by Bruce Robinson. <laughs> yeah, I think, should, I think it should have been out by now at some point, shouldn't it? It's yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's meant to be out over the summer. Back. I, I, think, I think first week of October is the current release date. Oh, so it's within in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Let me... Uh... Because they originally said they wanted it out in 2013, apparently yeah. to coincide with the centenary of Jack the Ripper's death. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Who is... Uh, now, there's some... Okay, well, I don't know who Bruce Robinson is, so he's a film director. Yeah. Right? And um, he might... Like, Tom Hardy, was he the guy who was in Legend? Is that his name? Yes, yeah, Tom Hardy, yeah. Yeah. See, everyone knows who he is, I guess. I he don't, was, so. he was, <laughs> Tom Hardy was Bane in the last Batman film, I believe. Okay, well, yes. there you go. That's why I don't know. <laughs> remember, if you remember watching two hours of someone and you couldn't understand a word they said, that was Tom Hardy in Batman. Yeah. I could understand him perfectly. I'd like to put that out there. Okay, so Bruce Robinson's book is getting um, publicity just basically due to who he is, uh, I would think. And uh, initially there was talk that it was a Maybrook book. Then somehow that's... We're backing away from suggesting it, it's a Maybrook book. Well, I I think I reading think, between the lines, he's suggesting that Maybrook's brother could be involved. Because I think that's right. I think it's Michael Maybrook. Yeah, but because that, he said this 1913 thing. I I believe that um, he originally did he not buy film rights to do something about the diary, and apparently yes. he did a, a whole bunch of research off the back of this, and he's probably put two and two together and made seventeen. And get off in a wild suspect tangent somewhere, like most suspect books. Like most suspect, like every suspect. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he, he had a quote, didn't he, in the um, introduction to the the first edition of the diary? Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yes. So right. he's been involved for you know twenty plus. He's been interested in that for twenty plus years, hasn't he? Clearly. Yeah. He, the title he of the book is a reference to a song Michael Maybrick wrote, apparently, isn't it? I remember someone saying. Really? They all have he, 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 Yeah, he, he was a composer. Uh, so. Yeah. I'm sure I read that somewhere. I might I might be making this up. Yeah. I think you're right. He wrote under a couple of pseudonyms, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, Stephen. According, according to the Oracle that is Wikipedia, 
<laughs> Michael Maybrick did write They All yes. Love Jack. Yes. yes. Well, there we go. Yeah, wrote with Stephen Adam. From what I've read, and I haven't read a whole lot, but um, the articles that I've, that I've read on this and then the, the Amazon descriptions and things, it almost seems like a, he's kind of going at this, on the one hand, as kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of a thing. But then, again, then he'll turn around and say, well, I've solved it. Yeah, there's a, there's a quote here that kind of sets the alarm bells ringing. It says, Bruce Robinson has discovered the identity of Jack the Ripper and he's busy writing the Ripper book to end all the Ripper books. <laughs> Which is... So there you go. Yeah. Where I, have we heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there's not a little bit of... Um, a little bit of sort of deliberate goading in there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I'm reading an interview of him, and there is a lot of uh, of goading in it towards towards the Ripperological community. Um, someone asked him what if he's told he's wrong, and he says it, it would only be right and expected, but the book is extremely well sourced. If they want to say that's bollocks, they'll have to say your source is bollocks. Can I say bollocks in the Rippercast? I don't, I don't know. Am I allowed that? <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it's in quote marks, it's okay. Yeah, there's a, there were quote marks. Uh, and on the Amazon blurb, it says... Uh, it, Demolishing the theories of generations of self-appointed experts, the so-called ripperologists. <laughs> self-appointed. Yeah. Um, but, so if you, I, so I someone has appointed him, presumably, if he's not uh, self-appointed. He must have had a yeah. ceremony or something. No, he's, he, he is <laughs> self-appointed. Um, uh, this, uh, this interview, another fantastic quote. Um, from him here uh, describing Jack the Ripper he was a prick, a psychopathic prick, somehow he's managed to accrue this almost heroic aura but I have no time for that I go after the bastard Yeah, I, 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 there is a tongue in cheekness uh, about all this I think to it um, I'm quite interested to see what, you know, what he's come up with because I think he, I've heard he has been working for years and uh, he seems to have a way with as I think a few of us are sort of, we're probably all thinking, and this has come up already when Jonathan was trying to sort of summarise it. I'll just be interested to hear how the diary fits into this, because yeah. as we all know, <laughs> as I say, with his quote in the the introduction to the original, what was it nineteen ninety three edition of the diary? Yeah. You know, this is someone who takes the diary very seriously. So I'd be surprised if he's disowned the diary off the back of this. John Reese has an event that he's putting together in Wales, a theatre event called The Murderous and Mystery of Jack the Ripper. What is this all about, John? Okay, um, well, I'm a member of a theatre company based in Llanelli in Carmarthenshire in South Wales, um, and uh, the, the company's called Boom Productions. Um, we normally do uh, Shakespeare plays and pantomimes. Um, for the American listeners, a pantomime is uh, where you tell a fairy story with men in someone in drag and uh, catchphrases and random songs. Um, but uh, we're doing something a bit experimental um, next month. Uh, we've been on about doing it for a couple of years, and I'm in an houring, and we've just uh, we decided to go ahead and book it and start planning it. So uh, the show is called The Murders and Mystery of Jack the Ripper. Um, it's, um, it's basically, it's me on stage doing uh, a talk on the Ripper, but uh, key scenes are being acted out for the audience. Um, so uh, the, the discovery of Mary Kelly's body, we're having acted out uh, by actors from our company, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm narrating the, the overarching story. Um, and then after that, um, when the story of the case has been told in Act 1, in Act 2, we're doing a bit of a murder mystery. Um, so we're presenting uh, the, uh, to the audience suspects and the case fallen against them. And we're letting the audience make up their minds um, who they think might have been Jack the Ripper there. And they're going to have evidence packs. Um, they can look at an interval and um, when they're making their mind. So it's a couple of amalgamation of different things. It's quite experimental, something a bit different. Um, and it's taking place uh, on the 28th and 29th of October in um, the Furness Theatre in Llanelli, uh, Carmarthenshire. Um, so anyone uh, based in Wales or nearby, uh, come along. and it, it should hopefully be quite, good, quite a good night. Sounds great. Will you be recording it by any chance? I have no idea. We might be. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I hope we're going to video it, and uh, you know, pra- you know, I'm sure we can get an audio feed off it, perhaps. Um, but uh, yeah, ho- hopefully we will be uh, keeping it prosperity, and uh, if it goes well, um, you know, we're on about maybe doing it again in future, taking it somewhere, perhaps. You know, maybe uh, 
doing a couple of event news but we're going to see how this goes and uh review it afterwards but uh yeah it, it, it's quite exciting everything's moving quite fast now um we had a rehearsal this morning and we'd workshopping the script with the cast um as we go along so uh we so you wrote the entire script you say uh yeah i've i've, I've written it all um well I, i'm in the process of writing it all i should say <laughs> um uh, act one's done act two is um in process um of being done um yeah you know using all the uh the original case files and sources newspaper reports but um you know we're at the moment the, the cast are helping to workshop it um so it's you know it, it's able to be performed better and uh you know it's a balance between being informative and factual and being entertaining so uh we just need to strike the right balance there but uh, it's going well yeah good. Sounds brilliant. Well, that sounds pretty cool uh, that's a bit, only a couple of hours up the road from me john so i may, may pay your visit yeah, please do. Uh, there'll be plenty of information going up on Facebook. I will be um, promoting the event like crazy over the next uh, <laughs> five weeks, so uh, everyone will be fed up of seeing the poster come end of October. <laughs> excellent. If you are going to do that, Ian, give us a shout, and uh, yeah, I'll excellent. try and come along the same night, and we'll all, we can all go for a drink after. There we go, field trip. And, and then we can, we can write a damning review of it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, is, is, have we run out of things to talk about? Oh, uh, one more thing. Assassin's Creed. Yes. Oh, yes. John, yes, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been saying for months that because it's Victorian London, um, they're going to have something Jack the Ripper. But people have been saying, oh, it's set in the 1860s, so it's not happened. But I'm like, they always skip time in the games. It's something too good to be missed out. And I was right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I had said back then that spring Jack uh, would have made more sense if, 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 as far as the time frame is concerned. Uh, and also the movements of your Assassin's Creed character mm, ba- yeah. bouncing around rooftops to rooftops, scaling walls and things like that. But yeah, uh, the trailer hit YouTube last week, and now is is this? They're calling this what? Like a supplemental game, or yeah, the the, yeah. the, the, the way the video games work now is you you know when you buy the the disc with the game on, you get all that. Um, but there's also additional content which you can either buy um, what's called a season pass which lets you get it all automatically, um, or you can download the individual missions for an extra cost. So, um, uh, well, in the last Assassin's Creed game, they wound up giving them all for free because there's so many bugs on release, they did it uh, to stop the complaints from people. But, um, yeah, the thing is, it's extra content you have to pay for, but you need the uh, original game uh, to play. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the Assassin's Creed game. Um, it's going to be the first time I've ever played an Assassin's Creed game, though, and not spent a fortune afterwards on books because I've become interested in the historical period. So, because <laughs> <laughs> I just them already. Just, just don't, don't base all your research for the play on it, eh? No, well, it, 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 it does. You know, they, they, they do do their. Obviously, there's some historical embellishment, but. Uh, you know, they, they 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 capture the feel. Of I'm looking the, forward to this new Assassin's Creed just simply for the production value. Yeah, yes. they, the production value put them. Even if leaving Jack the Ripper out of it, you know, the the the, de- the attention to detail that these games have and the open world aspect. The, the one thing I'm hoping though is I'm not going to end up playing it and just yelling at the screen. That didn't happen. That could possibly happen. That's not historically <laughs> accurate, as I want to do with everything that tends to concern Victorian London that ever gets produced by Hollywood. I'm glad it's not just me that does that. Yeah, my, <laughs> my wife's absolutely sick of me doing it. She will refuse to watch anything along those lines with me. She's just just yeah, annoyed. But- I'm not allowed to watch From Hell in Company. Um, oh, I yeah, know. It's, uh, it's every time <laughs> ch- Channel 5 air a Jack the Ripper documentary, she's like, don't watch it, it'll just upset you. And then I watch <laughs> it, and then it upsets me. So Assassin's Creed uh, comes out when, do you know? Um, one second. I've got you on pre-order, so I should be able to tell you in a second. <laughs> it is due out, I know it's October sometime. October 23rd in the UK. Um, so I don't know when that is in... Uh, America. Uh, we'll see what happens after Assassin's Creed comes out and, and how if, if that has any effect on people's interests 
and Jack the Ripper, you know, after the movie from Hell came out. Yeah, the, the the way the additional uh, the, the the additional downloadable content works often is uh, they release it a few months after the original game because you can't play it until the original game is completed. So uh, it might be not until the new year when we see the effect. It depends when they're actually going to release it. But uh, yeah, but it, I, I I think it might generate some interest, perhaps. Okay, I want to thank Ian Wilson coming to us from where were you again? Sorry. Sunny Newport Pagnell. Okay. And uh, John Reese, and he's in Wales, and Trevor Bond is in London this time around. And that is Oh Dear Boss. Thanks, everyone, for being on the show today. And Thanks, John. Thanks for having us, John. We'll see you next time. Yeah.